Today's podcast episode is brought to you by Montreat Conference Center, located in picturesque Montreat, North Carolina, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Montreat Conference Center is a place set apart for those seeking to nurture and grow in their faith. We offer a variety of ways for you to connect, including six conferences specifically designed for youth. These week-long programs draw over 5,000 young people from all over the U.S. to Montreat each summer and offer a time for study, worship, and recreation. Activities include morning energizers, music, keynote, small group meetings, afternoon recreation, and evening worship. Are you a CBF group looking for a life-changing experience for your youth this summer? Contact us today at 828-419-9814 to find out about an exclusive offer for Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Youth Groups. To learn more about all that Montreat has to offer, visit www.montreat.org or contact us at 828-669-2911. All are welcome. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Church Starts Conversation. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship and interviews of people doing groundbreaking work of partnering together and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from church starters, pastors, and practitioners. This is Andy Hale. Today's podcast episode will feature Harry Rowland, Director of Missional Congregations at CBF. Harry and I will be having a conversation around the most common mistakes made in church starters. This will actually be a two-part episode. The next episode will air sometime in the month of May. I do want to make you aware of an upcoming opportunity at this summer General Assembly, which is June the 28th through the 30th in Atlanta, Georgia. The CBF Church Start Initiative and Network will be hosting a dinner on Thursday, June the 29th at Meehan's Public House, right down from where we'll be staying at the conference at the Hyatt in downtown Atlanta. Anybody who's interested in starting a new church, interested in learning more about church starting, or just a general friend of church starters along with our commission church starters will be invited for this dinner. If you're going to be in town for General Assembly or you just want to book a flight and come in for that evening, make sure you contact me at ahale at cbf.net. Now let's get along with the episode about the most common mistakes on church starting. Just an FYI, I had to redo this announcement about five or six times. So we're going to attempt to do a podcast after eating a monster-sized burger at a place called Chris Madrid's, Madrid's here it's in San Antonio. It's a macho-sized burger here in San Antonio. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that you're the real man because I didn't do the macho size. I did the uh, the regular, the petite size, which goes with our high differential, I guess, as well. So if you come down, you got to do the macho jalapeno cheddar burger. There it is. Yeah. We'll get you next time. You know, I'm getting on a plane tonight, so uh, I think that would have been a mucho mucho mistake on my end. So. <laughs> which does make nice. This is we're going to talk about mucho <laughs> mistakes <laughs> in church starting. You may have made one with your lunch before you boarded a plane. <laughs> Yeah, I know that we like to think that uh, as ministers, we don't make mistakes. Well, and certainly sometimes our parishioners either want us to walk on water or there is that person or two that wants to make sure that we know every single mistake we made. But uh, working with a number of church stars, uh, we've started to see that there are a number of preventative mistakes um, that are made. Uh, and these are very common. So just in a conversation about a couple of these, this will be the first part of probably two part, or maybe if the list gets longer, it might be three or four part uh, conversation around those common mistakes of, of church starts. Um, you know, when you're sensing a call to church starting, uh, it's exciting. It's like any call. Um, when you're finally stepping into the groove of what you feel God is directing you to, especially with a group of people, you're so ready 
to start. You know, the first inclination is we need to worship. We need to, to do these things. And, and more often than not, one of the most common mistakes is doing too much, too fast, too soon. Um, you know, we, we have to develop worship. We have to develop uh, discipleship groups. We have to develop some sort of, of ministry approach. But uh, sometimes the most important thing to do is just kind of pause and settle in and, and develop a new rhythm for church. That's true. It always reminds me so often of this old commercial that used to be on. I think it was for like a delivery commercial. And the guy was sitting at the desk going, yes, I can do that. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I can do that. Then he hangs up the phone and says, how can I do that? <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of our, um, what can happen because the vision is so grand and God places such a passion in the heart of church starters and they catch that passion of transforming the community, of, of discipling those who don't know Christ, of of maturing a nurturing church that becomes the presence of Christ and that passion is so great that we think that that we have to do it all now um, and we we neglect sometimes to realize that um, that passion is just to give us the vision for right now and and we can do too much too soon too fast and and uh, one of the common mistakes is to start a lot of things that you can't that you're not ready to with, with your core group with your resources with your own self-care as a church starter and pretty soon it burns out or it fails um, or you have to do a, do a restart and, um, and so there's some wisdom about kind of keeping that passion that's there but then planning how you're going to achieve that what needs to happen first and what should mm -hmm. happen first and then once that's successful how do you add into that so um, there has to be some strategic work to that vision um, you know, one of the things that happens is oftentimes you you start, and, and the immediate thought is, well, we need to worship because it's a public forum. People want to gather around this. But okay, consider who's going to set up. Mm -hmm. What kind of equipment are you going to buy? Do you have the money to buy that equipment? Um, oh, and by the way, if you have children show up, who's going to look after those children? What are you going to do with those children? How are you going to are you going to do background checks on each of the workers? And so, you know, you can already as you start to think about some of the logistical pieces. Um, if you could just redirect that energy away from let's meet publicly, let's do these things, to let's let's go into an intentional process of discernment. Let's really refine what we're being called to do. You know, because one of the mistakes that happens in starting too soon, too fast, um, is you don't properly identify who you are. Um, you become something that you've seen in another church start, and that might not be the identity you need for your particular context. Um, you know, one of the one of the proud points I have around uh, the discernment process we went through in Mosaic it was almost an 11-month process from the time the idea was given to the time we first gathered for worship. We quickly identified that ministry, uh, not programs, not events, but hands-on practical ministry, we wanted that to be one of the core pieces of our identity. And it would have been so easy in those first few months just to say, well, let's collect book bags for Backpack Buddy programs to provide kids at low-income schools to have food on the weekend. Let's do a clothes drive for this, or let's go mow people's yards. And one of the things that we realized was we could do that, or we could pause and identify what our giftedness, what our strengths, what our assets were, and how we can begin to live into the ministry opportunities, not only as they come to us, but as we intentionally seek them out. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's so easy because you have that energy, you have that passion, uh, but sometimes the best thing to do is just to pause and to wait. 
I think another good word to use to keep us from moving too fast too soon <clears throat> with too much is the word experiment. Mm. Um, there's People let you get away with all types of experiments and in church starts sometimes you know that first experience you have that initial time to make a good first impression and you're always worried or not about not doing it well and how it's going to sustain but with experiments uh, people let you get away with things and so instead of doing as you said trying to create this weekly worship that causes all different types of setup and having qualified folks to be able to lead you in that you can say well let's worship monthly and experiment with this worship style maybe you do a contemplative worship maybe you introduce your people to different styles of worship with this month do a contemplative or this one maybe you do uh, something else with a musical component to that or and you can come with trying to live into your vision see where god's at work by uh, slowing down pausing and then looking for points so let's let's do a worship experience this could be like this this month and maybe uh, something else the next Let's do a mission project, and, but it's not going to be, we're not saying we're going to do this now and forever, but here's an opportunity we feel like hands-on is needed. We'll experiment with this and do it. You don't sign on for a five-year commitment mm. to do this always. And then maybe you come with a missions becomes a good component. So I think experimentation, uh, having an, an, uh, a kind of, I say, exit strategy, at least, you know, this is just going to be an experiment that's going to be a few times can help us evaluate what it is that we do need to do um, and uh, that, that needs to be the sustaining portion of who we are. Yeah, I mean, if you've come out of the traditional church, at least reared in the traditional church, you know there, there's that phrase that often can crush the spirit of a church, which is, we've never done it that way before. Mm -hmm. And so a church start is an opportunity mm -hmm. to create a new culture. Um, you know, we, we use the term creativity a lot, but creating a culture of creativity Creating a culture of openness to say, look, we don't have to do an, you know, an, an annual event um, this way every single time, but that we can try something new, um, allow people's dreams to be lived into. Uh, you know, some of the more successful aspects of my church start experience, not for me professionally, but for our church, uh, was those those first two years of saying, let's give that a try. Let's mm -hmm. let's see what what it could possibly look like together. And one of the, the key things, and this probably would bring us to our, our second common mistake, is if you, if you don't take time to pause, you miss out on one of the, the most important aspects of church starting, which is strategic leadership development. But if you can pause, if you can um, allow the process to, to come to you and to journey through it, you can take time to develop people's giftedness and their strengths and their assets. But one of the more common mistakes of church start is to just jump right into it, to throw people into places that they're not necessarily gifted to serve. Um, kind of that, that old kind of throw the spaghetti against the wall to see if it's done. We kind of throw things against the wall to see if it works in a church start. And sometimes you can prevent a lot of mistakes and a lot of burnout frustration um, by doing leadership development. You can, and, and, I, and again, leadership development, we're using this word pause and experiment with too much too soon too too fast but it's also good for leadership development and uh, and there's a lot of processes that can help you do that but I think that one of the key components is kind of keep that big picture that you really uh, leadership development you need to help that core group really come to know three stories mm -hmm. they have to know God's story why God has called that uh, this new church start into being and that takes uh, kind of that posture of prayer of sitting and praying together Lord 
What would you have us to be as a church? What would you have us do as a church? Lord, what would you have us do? What would you have us to be? But you have to spend enough time creating space for God that your core group can learn God's story, God's hopes and dreams for this new church start. And that means praying together. You also have to know this, your church's story. And basically when I say your church, that's your core group story at this time. And the only way you do that is that you sit with each other, that you share your lives, that you, you learn about each other. Just not know like, well, this guy I think likes golf or this, this young lady enjoys this. But will you share your story, where you've met God, and, the, and that's sitting together, and that's sharing where God's worked at your life, that you come to trust and know each other. So you have to know each other's story, that, quote, that church's story, and that helps you know why God's brought you together. And then you need to know that community story. You need to spend time as a core group looking and saying, God's placed us here in this community or called us here. Why do the hope, God has hopes and dreams for that community too. Now you don't go do for that community. You have to listen to that community, know its hopes and dreams, and then see where it connects with you, your core group story, your church's story, and God's story. Um, and and there's processes that you can do the discipleship, but they all need to somehow fit into one or several of those of knowing those stories if you really want to become a, a successful leadership team. Yeah. And that, that coincides with the first mistake, which is to, to rush in the process. Uh, one of the things I, I share with our church stars um, around core group development is give it time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could take the passion and uh, interest of starting a church, meet on a weekly basis, uh, having a time of prayer, having a time of theological conversation, of reading and researching. Uh, but one of the things I suggest is as you gather, if you gather once, every week, you know, maybe every other time have those conversations, but on the off weeks, uh, still gather, but gather for community, share a meal together, go find something that y'all enjoy doing together, because really it's going to develop a deeper connectivity, uh, relationships and a stronger knit community uh, that becomes the identity of a new church start. Um, and, And time is needed for that space is needed for that experience is needed for that. And it's not just about developing these handful of people, you know, because everybody that you have at the beginning is not going to be somebody who's going to be a pinnacle leader within your church. They might be the person that greets one Sunday a month. They might be the person who helps set up, but you don't know until you allow people the space to identify their gifts, their strengths, and their assets, to actually take time to listen to them of what they're uh, called to do. Um, and then as, as you're doing that, you're also inviting other people into the process. Uh, the hope is that your, your leadership team, uh, this core group of people begins to develop over the months of, of discernment that you go into. But then I think I would use that word strategic because um, it's, it's not just about theological conversations. It's not just about developing a shared vision, but it's also saying, how do I want to develop these people um, as human beings? You know, mm-hmm. how we can uh, better, not just our communication together, but Maybe how I can develop a, a healthier communication style with this leadership group that might be passed along to their marriage or to their workplace. And so being intentional about how you're trying to cultivate leaders strategically, I think, uh, is a common mistake that a lot of churches just completely miss out on. And it's significant, too, because as a church starter, <clears throat> you're very limited on the number of boundaries that you have in your life. And so... Um, you know, you're trying to be bi-professional, you have a family, you have your own self-care, you're trying to start a church, it's a financial obligation. And um, then if, if you just see core group development just being a Bible study teacher to them or discipling them, then you just added one more thing to another spinning plate, so to speak. And so I do agree with you strategic leadership development that you are developing them. 
uh, with a purpose in mind that they can take some leadership. That's why they're called core leadership. And so, you know, you kind of have to move from a process of first of being that teacher, you know, calls them in, and then you have to kind of transition to where you're kind of the facilitator, where they're taking on, and you're just kind of facilitating that, helping out to, to finally where you're the coach of that leadership team and you're kind of coaching from the back end. And so your own leadership style as a church starter has to kind of change. It's certainly gonna be heavy that first time in teaching what it is and helping them, but then as quickly as you can, you need to move to facilitating where they are now taking on and some of that leadership in that net, that safety net that you've provided and created, it's okay to make a mistake because all you're doing is experimenting right now. Mm -hmm. And they learn until finally you just can coach and, they, and they've caught that passion. Um, so, but if, if all, it, it can't just be, oh, let's get together and let's pray and let's do a Bible study. That is not strategic leadership development. Yeah, and I think we would make the, mis the mistake of not including in this mistake that the strategic de development of leaders is not just for others, it's for self. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we don't understand our leadership style, if we don't understand our shortcomings, uh, both in the way that we direct people, mm -hmm. uh, engage people in the way that we communicate, um, that's a huge blind spot that can lead to a lot of heartache, a lot of drama, a lot of conflict to come. And so along with strategic leadership development of others, you also include self. And so that's why, you know, for church servers that we want to partner with, um, a good portion of the training we give is around personal leadership development um, uh, through coaching of kind of having an ability to step back uh, for an hour and, and to have a conversation not just around the church's goals, your leadership development goals, you know, this overarching uh, um, church mm -hmm. vision, but also what are my personal goals? Um, what do I need to work on self, these pastoral uh, and leadership goals I have? And that's true because, you know, um, churches plateau at different levels and any one single person, no matter how gifted they are, can only connect, can only disciple, can only relate to so many people. And so um, I've, I've, and the four churches I've worked with was starting. We had one church that never seemed to be able to get over about 25 or 40, though it, ought to, it was a location that ought to have done more than that. And the reason was the pastor was had more of a, uh, was trying to pastor more like a chaplain than as a church starter, where everything was dependent upon him. He did all the Bible study teaching, he did all the work, and you can only relate to so many people, and he couldn't relate to and keep track of and more than about 40 folks. And it wasn't until we could get someone to come alongside to empower to do some strategic leadership planning that he could step away and. This person could relate to 20 more people, and this one could relate to another group of folks, and pretty soon you have other people relating, and that gives you ability to, to not have to do it all yourself, but also for your church start to kind of grow beyond your own network. So, second mistake is a lack of strategic leadership development. I think for the third and kind of final one for you, maybe transition to the second or third episode around this, or maybe even fourth if people really like it. Um, I kind of draw to a, a, a church in my area. Um, so it, it's, it's not um, that difficult to, as a church starter, to imitate what you have seen in other churches. Um, the mega church that has the satellite campuses, the, the author that has mm -hmm. written about the success in that particular area. I mean, we saw that in the 1990s and 2000s with Rick Warren's books, and of course, everybody doing that with a lot of the worship practices of some of these churches. Um, but there's a church in my context where 
when you look at the ministerial staff, uh, they look like they would be um, engaging a context that's like an like in LA or New York or in Chicago by the way that they dress. You know, they look like they just pulled out of a fashion magazine how they uh, would dress. But then you look at the, the, the congregation and talking about the rural South and people wearing jeans, but not fashion designer jeans and, you know, not the, the flashy button-up shirt. And, and you begin to wonder if part of that is, is just completely missing out on, on your context. And that's just one example. And there's other examples of one of the common mistakes is not truly understanding and engaging your context and letting your vision, and your vision just isn't on how the church approaches ministry, how you are going to worship, but also how you as a minister present yourself. Um, and we've seen that within CBF Life. We've had a, a, a church start that um, kind of puttered for the first couple of years as they were trying to live into a worship style that really spoke to the pastor. Um, but come to find out through some coaching, through some conversations, that um, their struggles were that that particular worship style was not going to work in that context. You know, it, it was meaningful to that minister, but it wasn't meaningful to their church members. And so it's so easy to, uh, to rush too fast, too soon, and to develop a context that is not actually accurate to the context that you're living into. And that's true that, you know, there's... Uh church starts ought to be contextual um, because one of the goals, at least for CBF church starts, is we just don't go parachute a church in and say, oh, here's just going to be a church, and then you invite the community to come and say, oh, come help us become a new church start. You know, that's just kind of a con promoting that consumerism that's so prevalent out there. The idea would be to get into that community that you feel called to, to walk, to pray with your team about that community, to listen to their stories, to ask appreciative questions, not um, a paternal questions, but appreciative questions of what's your favorite story? What's your greatest hope for this community? Uh, tell me um, you know, the, the best thing you like about it. If you can help your community fall in love with its community, uh, that's a big step. But you also learn their stories. You also learn their, their, their context. You also learn what some of their, their traditions are. And then you can come back and, and, and say, we've listened to your hopes and dreams. And we're a church that wants to help your hopes and dreams come true. And that becomes an appealing group to do that. But you also learn, as you mentioned, a, a worship style. If they, are, if they have very little spiritual background, well, a real silent, contemplative uh, style po possibly won't work. Nor would just a very um, seminary style, exegetical Bible studies probably not. It's probably going to have to be something... Uh, more simple uh, with a, some Bible teaching and then some experiential, some testimony, some Q&A. Uh, if you have a, a very older, mature um, demographic, well then you could probably tailor a worship style that may be what we consider maybe more traditional. Um, but we, we do see you can make a mistake of saying this is how God called me, this, this uh, made a difference in my life and assume that's going to be the same for everybody. And in our mind, we know that's not true, um, but sometimes it's hard to get away from what has meant something to us. Biblically, Paul grew up Jewish, going to the synagogue, having all that done, and somehow when God called him, he totally changed. Now he's in the marketplace. Now he wasn't just reading from the scroll. Now he's relating with people as he kind of said, this is the context that God's called me to, which is totally different 
than where he had come to be God. So we certainly have biblical models of how we need to read the context and that we're the ones God's called to change to make that happen. Yeah. Well, it's, it's taking time to develop and understand uh, why you do what you do. Um, which uh, I'm not opposed to saying I drink all the Simon Sinek uh, Kool-Aid. Uh, mm-hmm. Just excellent book, Start With Why, Leaders Eat Last, and mm-hmm. some other books actually coming in development. Um, one of the things Sinek talks about is that most organizations know what they do and how they do it, but the successful organizations understand why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes time. Uh, it takes efforts. And mm-hmm. it's so easy to build the pieces of the how and the what uh, around it, you know, uh, the how and the what is the worship style, the Bible study practice style, the ministry engagement style. But it's, it's the identity, it's the core foundation around what motivates and causes you to do all these things. And if you don't take time to um, not just discern that as the church starter, um, that's why we believe in, in, in our church starters developing a shared vision. You know, not coming to a group of people and saying, um, as arrogant as it does sound, but it can also sound very pious. God has given me the vision for this. Well, that's great, but you're just one person. At the end of the day, you know, is the church going to live and die by you, or can the church become something more? Um, you know, the body of Christ. I, we sometimes forget as ministers that um, Jesus is the head of the church. So uh, that's an important piece. So, so when you take time to say, okay, what do we? What are we call, being called to? Well, why are why are we even going to do this new church start? To be able to, to answer that question and the beauty that comes out of that, and that takes time. You can't you can't buy a book and, and get that out. You can, but then you're going to live and die by the trends uh, that we see within the consumer Christian culture. It is, and I know sometimes I'm talking to groups. I'll ask a question, and it seems like a simple question. Uh, sometimes I'll be talking about their context or their community, and I say, How many of y'all believe that? that God has hopes and dreams for your context, for that community, for that context you're trying to minister to. How many of y'all believe that God has hopes and dreams for that, that your context? Oh, and everybody raises up their hands. At least, and I keep asking until I got everybody's hands raised. And then I say, how many of y'all believe that God desires to uh, share those hopes and dreams uh, with the churches or with the Christians there, the hopes and dreams that God has for your context? Oh, we believe that God desires to impress upon us, to share with us, to, to let us know what that is. And then you come back and say, well, then what's the disconnect? God has hopes and dreams for your community. God desires to share those. What's the disconnect? It's that we haven't spent time enough in the presence of God or listening to our context enough to discover those hopes and dreams. Spiritual vision is discovered in the presence of God. Spiritual vision for your church is not invented by us. That's those books we read. Oh, this sounds good. Let's invent that and ask God to bless it. No, spiritual vision is discovered in the presence of God. And our goal is to that why is important. We need to discover those hopes and dreams God has for the community, those hopes and dreams the community has for itself, and where they match with our with our core group and our vision of the church, then that's why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And we invite that church to come and say, we're, we're a church for this community to help God's hopes and dreams for this community come true. And we've discovered what those are by listening to you and praying to God. Yeah, I don't... I don't mean for this to sound judgmental um, because I've certainly lived into this myself, both in the church, I, uh, the culture I was reared in, and, and in many regards, the, the church culture that I pastor in, that all too often the church uh, allows its culture to be shaped by the greater culture around us. Mm-hmm. And the greater American culture is fast, cheap, and easy. Mm-hmm. 
And fast, cheap, and easy is let's read this book, let's listen to this expert's video, let's duplicate what we see here, um, because it's it's hard work mm -hmm. to figure out what God is calling you to in that particular town, to that particular group of people. Um, but I think you would agree with me because you've seen this in more, far more congregations than I have, that it might be hard work, but it's more fulfilling work. It's more faithful to what God has called you to. There'll be more genuine success um, when we allow ourselves to go into a visioning process for that particular context in church culture. It is, and as you said, Andy, it's a lot more fulfilling for you, for your core group, for the community, because you are living life together. You are shared together. You're discovering what that next step in that vision is with God. Um, one mistake you do is kind of thinking you have the vision wrapped up and you're thinking 10 years down the road or five years what this new church starts going to look like. And that often is a mistake because God's not necessarily interested in showing us what it's going to look like five or 10 years down the road. God's saying, I'm with you, but here's the next step you need to take. Don't go too much, uh, too fast, too soon. You know, spend time with your leadership team developing that. Know your context. Here's the next, here's the vision for right now. And if we're willing to discover that shared vision for right now, engage in that as we do so, then also God reveals the next vision for right now. And we do that, it's really called walking by faith, is it right? <laughs> it's called what? something biblical about yeah. that. <laughs> Sounds familiar. It does. <laughs> and five years down the road in your new church start, you look at where you are and you look at where you started and you can say, gracious, I never would have thought um, five years ago that we'd be where we are now. But thanks be to God, because God took it a step at a time. You couldn't see God's hand all the time as you went forward, but in hindsight, you can see how God, as you faithfully placed yourself in the presence of God and in, your, in a context asking God's leadership, you can sense the, the handprint of God on it uh, as you use your rearview mirror, so to speak. Um, but it does come from um, trusting God in your context, not trying to... to, to um, for something onto your context. So we've engaged the mistake of too much, too soon, too fast, a lack of strategic leadership development, and an inability to develop a contextualized vision. It's good stuff. We should do a second and third podcast on this. I think so, since we since you know we've either been a part of, observed. Um, or been or had it done to us many mistakes <laughs> so uh, we could we could do another series for sure and at least another podcast for sure uh, uh, how about we make a, a promise next time that we won't eat like 10 pounds worth of uh, hamburger before we sit down and try to have a conversation that sounds good yeah <laughs> all right we'll catch you on the flip side as always a thanks to our podcast listeners and a special thank you to Montreat Conference Center for sponsoring today's episode. Again, you can find more about Montreat at www.montreat.org or contact them at 828-669-2911. Also, be sure to visit cbf.net backslash church starting to find more information about CBF's Church Start Initiative, along with weekly blog posts by our commissioned church starters from all across the fellowship who are doing absolutely brilliant work. You can find more information about some of our upcoming cohorts or innovation groups, learn more about some of our internship opportunities, and much more.